Welcome to the Valley Advocate Podcast, featuring interviews that take us deeper into the people and happenings on the local scene. For more podcasts and a closer look at what's going on in the Valley, visit us at valleyadvocate.com. Hello and welcome to the Valley Advocate Podcast. My name is Dave Eisenstatter. I'm the editor of the Valley Advocate, and I'm here this week with Steve Farrer, who wrote an imaginative trip through history, Valley historical novelists talk about their craft. Welcome, and thanks for chatting with me. All right. Good to be here. Yeah. Is that what they always say on NPR? Yeah, right, right, <laughs> which is what we are for the moment, um, more or less. For years, you've written a column on books, book bag, and uh, you're a very avid reader. Um, wanted to talk to you about how this idea for a story looking at historical fiction writers in the Valley came to you. Uh, I guess it came uh, in part because I had uh, interviewed a couple of these people in the past, a couple of writers I talked to. Um, the first one was uh, a guy named David Gillum, who's an, uh, he lives in uh, Amherst. He wrote a book that came out maybe five years ago, I think it was his first, called uh, City of Women, which is a, a novel set in Berlin in 1943 as the uh, war world war 2 starts to turn against the nazis and it was a it was a pretty well received book it was kind of described as kind of a literary thriller about a, a berlin woman uh, she's a, she's a housewife her husband's fighting on the russian front and she gets drawn into helping jews who are hiding from the nazis um, as the gestapo start you know sort of tightening their grip ever more so on the on the germans as the war turns against them and uh, and then he came out with a book uh, late, I think it was earlier this year, it was sort of a speculative novel about Anne Frank, the famous you know, teenage girl who kept the diary in Amsterdam during World War II when she and her family and some uh, four other uh, Jews were hiding from the Nazis, and she was eventually caught, obviously, and she died during the Holocaust in, in one of the concentration camps. He imagines her surviving the Holocaust and coming back to Amsterdam uh, at the end of World War II and, and how she tries to come to grip with the trauma and, and sort of anger and sort of what they call sort of survivor's guilt because her sister and mother have died in it. And then I talked to another writer at some point, who a, a woman who, because she had a very interesting entree to historical fiction, she lives in Northampton, a woman named Suzanne Dunlop, who uh, who worked as a, in advertising for a while, and then she... Um, uh, she she done that. She also she also was a pianist, a trained pianist, and she got a PhD in uh, music education. Excuse me, in music history. Was hoping to teach at the doctorate level, and that didn't work out. So she turned to writing historical fiction because she loved history, she loved music, and she figured she loved writing. She figured she'd combine all of those things. And so I and I heard about some other writers, uh, and I certainly these four that I wrote about are not. There's plenty of others who are, you know right here in the valley and they're in the. Massachusetts who write historical fiction, uh, I was interested in writing them, talking to them in a more general sense of why they write about the past and how they go about it, and and also because this is a subject of interest to me. I mean, I love reading and I like uh, historical fiction, and uh, I just wanted to sort of see if I could pull those various threads together. Yeah, and so you uh, you spoke to David Gillum, to Suzanne Dunlap, and also a couple of other writers, Serena Burdick. Right. And Gita Trelise, am I saying that right? Yeah, I think Gita, Gita Trelise. And um, they all had varying degrees of interest in re historical research that they would integrate into their stories. And maybe you could talk a little bit about what their different processes are in terms of looking at the time periods that they write about. 
Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question because they all have they you know they all do enjoy the research. You'd have to, I mean, because uh, you know, and um, you have to enjoy the research because you're trying to you you got to write a book. If you're writing it about the past, you've got to have some understanding of the era you're writing about if you want to create a believable believable novel and not fantasy. Uh, but they also have a, an interest in history. But they all have somewhat different approaches to the to doing it. Now, David Gillum, the guy in Amherst, you know, he's read a lot about World War II history. Um, he's read a lot about the Holocaust. He's read, you know, memoirs of Holocaust survivors. I'm not sure exactly where that comes from, but, you know, it's possible he had some family members uh, that were affected by this. But at any rate, he was also, he had um, studied at one point uh, a lot of uh, Berlin in the 1920s and 30s and other parts of Europe in the lead up to World War II. That, and he just thought that would be, he wanted to write a book that was centered in that era. And he had this sort of big well of res reservoir to draw on. Uh, Suzanne Dunlap, as I mentioned, had uh, has, had studied music history, uh, knew a lot about stuff, uh, music dating back to the, the Middle Ages. She wrote her most recent books are set during the, I think, 13th century in uh, the, what is now the southern part of France. And part of, the, part of the story revolves around a kind of these troubadours that went around and played a type of music at the time. And it, the name of it is escaping my, me at the moment. I think they were called the Troubarets or something like that. But anyway, she was interested in music history. And uh, the other writers, uh, Serena Burdick, you know, she got, she, she doesn't really necessarily consider himself, herself an historical novelist, but she wrote her first book, which was set in France in the 1870s during the Impressionism era, as a way of looking at what happened to female artists during that time, because they were generally sort of, you know, scorned by the male artists. Yes. Um, and she was interested in approaching a story from that angle. And Gita Trelease had lived in Paris at one point. She studied history and British literature when she was in college. She taught history for a while. And she wanted to combine these, these various aspects in a book. And in her case, she ended up writing something, a YA story, that also invokes some fantasy. I think it was part because she also has been attracted to some fantasy books over the years and thinks it's a, it's a good way to sell a book these days, actually. YA stuff is really popular. It was interesting in particular with Trelease how the historical had some interesting parallels with today, where the gross inequality in the revolutionary France has some parallels with inequality today in this country. Yeah, she did. She said she she said to she told me that, you know, she her aim in writing the in, in writing a book is, you know, is to do the research and to use that as a basis for writing a story that seems very immersive, where you sort of go, you you're, you find yourself in a different time and era, but that you also can find links to the to the to the to the the present and perhaps links to your own life and in her case she felt like this sort of the gross disparities in wealth in revolutionary era France in the 1780s you know are not all that dissimilar to the stuff that we see today where what who knows what what percentage of the world population lives in abject poverty and we see in our own country increasing aggregation of wealth in a tiny percentage of of the of our citizenship and and she was also interested um, in the sort of way that rumor and fear starts to take over people's lives they distrust what they're seeing in the newspapers and you know and, and she saw a parallel between that and the sort of the obsession with conspiracy theories that you see promulgated on the web today and you know the cries of fake news and mm -hmm. so i thought that was very interesting you know and they and and she had an actually her her research approach was you know she used uh, she had she read um a number of biographies of people from that era, including 
the French queen, Marie Antoinette, who famously said, let them eat cake. Yes. The peasants, peasants, French peasants complained about not having enough bread. So she read biographies of her and some other people, and she studied some historical documents. Serena Burdick, the Greenfield writer who wrote this book uh, that's set in France in the 1870s, Girl in the Afternoon, she read a, a bunch of novels by Emile Zola, who was a you know leading French writer at the time, and she did that to sort of try to soak up the atmosphere and get a sense of how people spoke, you know, and, and how life, day-to-day life unfolded, so she could use that in her own book. That that's interesting, and this is something that a couple of the writers you spoke to brought up, is that they don't necessarily write in uh, the language that people were speaking at that time, not a not a stilted language or a, an old time language that might not be able to be as accessible to readers today. Right. I mean, unless I think unless you're like an experienced linguist, I don't think any I don't think any of these particular uh, writers are. You can do a lot of research, but it would be hard to sort of find out exactly how people spoke. You could probably do some research and be, you know, if you, you write, wanted to find some period slang or this or that. So they try to write in a pretty straightforward way, perhaps invoking slightly more, form, you know, more formality if you're writing a dialogue from the 19th century than you'd see today. I think a couple people said the most important thing is to stay away from like modern terms and anachronisms that would just seem completely out of place. Like Suzanne Dunlap told me at one point she was writing one of her recent books, which is set in Vienna in the late uh, 18th century. She had she used the word weekend, and at some point she said, well, that's not right. Right. <laughs> you know, that term is a 20th century concoction. I mean, people didn't have time off, and, you know, they didn't have the, the concept of the weekend didn't exist. You know, so she caught, she had to catch herself and say, i got to expunge that. The, the labor activists of the time hadn't quite gotten around no, to it No, no, they hadn't gotten around to that. And, uh, I've, I, you know, and I've also interviewed, not, you know, for this story, but other times I've talked to writers who have written stuff in the past, they They've said that, you know, that's really important is that you don't want to write in some kind of stilted, you know, kind of kind of phony way. And just, you know, it really it gets in the way of the story. It sounds phony and it's just going to put people off. And, you know, don't assume that people spoke in this sort of weird, stilted way just because, you know, it was 300 years ago. I mean, there were probably plenty of curse words and slang and, you know, sort of like, you know, street speech in those days, just like there is today. And there's also the idea that you're not, as a fiction writer, writing a history book. You're trying to write something that's an entertaining story that happens to be set in the past. Right. I mean, that's, I think that's the challenge. And I asked them all about that. And uh, a couple of them said, you know, they, they make a conscious effort to try to find a middle ground between, you know, using their research and to, to flavor the story and to provide a good backdrop, but introducing it in ways that don't sort of kind of suddenly, you know, bring the, the narrative to a screeching halt or that just get bogged down in details. And, uh, you know, I've read, I've read reviews of books where, uh, you know, that has surfaced as criticism. There's a, a, a woman, a British writer, I read one of her books Earlier this summer, it was her new book. Her name is uh, Claire Clark, I think. She's, she's written a series of historical novels, and I remember reading a review of one of her earlier books where there was a criticism of that. It was something that was set in colonial America, and the criticism seemed to be that she'd done this really impressive job of research, but she'd been too, she'd just layered too much of it into the story mm. and really got in the way of things. 
So that, I mean, that seems to be the challenge of writing this kind of fiction is number A, it's got to be realistic. You have to have done your homework to make it uh, a, a good realistic story, but you can't, you know, you don't want to present it as a sort of laborious history text either. As someone who reads a lot, can you tell me what you look for in a book, either in a work of historical fiction or otherwise? What makes a good story or book? Or well, I think I think you know uh, I'm trying to think of historical novels I've read. I can think um, I like something. I like to read something about an era that a I don't really know much about, and, and that I may not be that likely to pick up some huge history tome to read about it. And as an example. I read a series of books uh, by a, a guy named uh, Stephen Saylor. He's written a whole series of novels. I think the first ones came out in the 1990s that are set in ancient Rome. And his character, they're mysteries. The, character, the central character, narrator of his stories, is a guy who's like the ancient Roman equivalent of a private detective. They call him the finder. Mm. And uh, the first book that in the series was very interesting because he gives his basic introduction he describes the character walking through Rome, and he does it in a way he just describes, gives you this basic description of what it was like in ancient Rome in, like, you know, the year 75 B.C. or whatever it's set. And I learned that, you know, there, for every free Roman citizen, there were something like seven or eight slaves. And I never knew that. Mm. You know, and that there were sort of gradations of slaves. You know, some were, you know, basically worked to death in silver mines, and others had a sort of, like, you know, much better position as uh, the sort of house servants of uh, some well-to-do person. Um, but there was something I didn't know. So I number, you know, if I can learn something about an era I don't really know about in, in, in this sort of like, you know, basic smooth way, you know, that, that has a good storyline, that's, that's really appealing to me. Um, it's also appealing, I, you know, I like, I, like, I like the fact that historical novelists will use their imagination to try to, you know, and their knowledge to create a scene, to recreate a scene from the past um, uh, that it, it might not be something I know anything about. It might be something I've read a fair amount about. But if they can sort of bring that to life in a, in a fiction, in a, in a novel, I just I find that pretty good reading. And it's, an, it's a nice, it's a nice uh, alternative to just reading contemporary fiction, so, so much of which seems kind of steeped in irony and, and bleakness, mm. <laughs> depending on who you're reading, you know? Well, an imaginative trip through history, a good read in itself. Valley historical novelists talk about their craft by Steve Farr. It's the cover story in this week's Advocate. Thanks a lot, Steve, for chatting with me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit us at valleyadvocate.com. Thank you.